0: You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? This whole party. down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some d and d I know why and I am joined as I am always joined by the memorable megalithic and monumental
1: mad wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean Chris? I have a voice today. I did not have a voice yesterday, so having a voice is good when you podcast. That is completely
0: accurate. I mean, you need to be able to talk and you need a voice in order to like you know put out words into the internet sphere.
1: Yes, so I am ready to do that now, surprisingly.
0: And we're going to talk about D&D, but before we talk about D&D and shared worlds, that is the topic for the day, let's get to some announcements, which starts with something that is D&D adjacent. We're talking about Disciples of the Demon Lord. What is that, Sean?
1: So, we all know and love Rob Schwab's game, uh, Demon Lord. What's the full title? You know, it, it's Shadow of Shadow the Demon Lord. Thank you. Uh, of the Demon Lord, but I've never played it. I really oh, need to. Oh, you haven't? I really need to. Oh, my gosh. Nope. I have played it many, many times now. And uh, most of those times it's been with Rob Schwab himself, um, which is actually a different game than if you play it with a different uh, game master, because Rob is definitely um, he has a certain flair for running his game a special way. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah, because we're a family friendly show, we
1: can't even talk about some of the things he does in those games. Pretty much. Yeah, I think that's fairly safe to say. But it is it is as you say a and D adjacent game, and it is uh, quite fun. Uh, the setting is unique. Uh, I like the mechanics of it as well. And so, what Rob has done now for his Shadow of the Demon Lord game is create a way for people to write adventures and content for it and sell it via Drive Through RPG, as the DM's Guild also does. So. Uh, Let me give you the blurb. Uh, This new program offers a digital platform for people to create adventures for Shadow of the Demon Lord. Have a great adventure idea? You can now publish it. Everything you need to produce the adventure is available at DriveThruRPG. With the tools we have provided, you can unleash the full horror of your creativity onto the world. We are thrilled to open up Shadow of the Demon Lord to the community who has embraced the game. And we can't wait to see what you come up with. To speed Earth to its end. Mm-hmm. So in our show notes, we give you links not only to that announcement, which has more information, but to the other uh, resources that you need to create this. So it's very similar to the DM skill. You follow the instructions. You create your content. You upload it to through, And then uh, Profit. Yes, this
0: seems to be the trend for lots of companies these days, because there's like the Storyteller Vault, there's Monty Cook Games has a version of this. Now uh, Robert Schwalbe and Schwab Entertainment has a version of this. It's pretty cool.
1: Yep. So if you are interested in writing for that game or just interested in the game itself, uh, you can check it out.
0: In the uh, descriptions of the links, one of my favorite moments when reading through that was... um, a question and answer thing, which said, I'd like to write in a way that matches the tone of Shadow of the Demon Lord. Any advice? And the answer was, write
1: drunk, edit sober. That is good advice. And even if you don't drink, uh, it just means write with abandon and edit mm-hmm. with care. It's also funny if you've ever met Rob. Yes, that is true.
0: <laughs> that is very All right. True. The second thing is Zenith. The second thing is Xanathar's Extraordinary Vault. This is a product by M.T. Black, R.P. Davis, and Travis Leg. Or Legay? I don't know how to pronounce
1: his last name. You know, I I, I, I don't know. I was going to go Legay to make it like exotic and French. Oh, style. yeah,
0: there you go, Legay. So it's either Travis Leg, Travis Legay, or Travis Legay. So what so is we'll, this?
1: Yeah. So this is a book of items. Here's the blurb. Zathar spent centuries accumulating loot beneath the streets of Waterdeep. Now at least you have the chance to peek inside his extraordinary treasure vault. This book contains nearly 500 items, including mundane and magical arms and equipment for everyone. So it's a big book of stuff. And if you are a fan of M.T. Black or any of those other folks, you know that they make good products. And I have checked this out. Uh, A little bit, I haven't done a deep delve into it, but it looks like, well, let's put it this way. I love products like this because you can just read it through, get ideas from it, use the pieces you want, jettison the pieces you don't want. And it's not like a, a new class or a new race or a full adventure where it's harder to pull out pieces. With this, you can just grab what you need. And, you know, as a producer of content, products like this are really fun to make and and nice to make because there are a lot of nice art assets out there that you can get quite cheaply or actually for free. And so if if, if you're creating items, it's easy to grab a dagger. Yes. It's easy to grab a pair of boots um, as opposed to a huge, full color, complex piece of art that might cost you a lot to make. So uh, you usually get a good value for uh, books like this.
0: It's very true. It's very, very true. Uh, yeah, I, I love stuff like this, especially because it's like, you know, a billion magic items, right? Like, and all sorts of fun little interesting things that you can drop into your into your play experience.
1: Mm-hmm. Or give you ideas for creating your own things. Mm-hmm.
0: Your own adventures and things like that, like MacGuffins and magic items and even comet items are good uh, good adventure seeds and adventure starters. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about something that you made, the Mines of Chult.
1: Yeah, we talked about this before. The Mines of Chult is a product that I worked on with Jeff Stevens and Tony Petrica, and it is nine mines, so nine mini-adventure layers in the land of Chult. So there are things you can pick up, put into your— Tomb of Annihilation campaign, or actually set them anywhere you'd like. And they cover different levels. But, you know, we've talked about this before, and I just wanted to say thank you to the people who have bought it so far. We just hit a silver seller status. So that's, you know, that's exciting for us. So if you've purchased it, thank you. If you're thinking of purchasing it, we've got a link in our show notes to it. um If you've purchased it and you have played any of them, we'd love to hear your feedback, what worked, what didn't, uh, in case we do a similar product in the future.
0: Can I tell you, I really love the, uh, the the maps mm-hmm. that come with this they're they're like these black and white grayscale um maps of these mines but they uh, when they have water they're colored blue and that's really a nice touch
1: yeah Jeff does the maps Jeff Stevens does the maps and he sent me a map and said here use this map and so I was all over that and actually his map really inspired the whole design of the mine that I did for that one and then I did I'm a terrible artist so I did a little sketch um. For the the second mine that I did, and I sent it to to Jeff, and he made it look nice, so it was it was kind of cool.
0: It's always good to have creative people like that that are
1: not just good writers but good in other places too absolutely i I wish I had any sort of skill whatsoever in that, although I do have indesign now, Chris <laughs> yeah, oh my, so I'm gonna have to start laying things out or or something or something yeah.
0: All right, so the last thing is the. Uh, what is this? This is a monster of the Monsters of the Guild project. It's a community monster project. What's going on here?
1: So, what's going on? So, uh, I'm trying to think. Of Glenn Cooper, who you know um, that we uh, gave our uh, Five Temples of the Earth Mother adventure to to put into that collection, he yes. and Phil Batwith and a few others have decided to take out a new project. Which is pulling monsters from different products across the guild and compiling them into one big monster manually kind of product called Monsters of the Guild, and that the the layout is underway. Um, actually, it's more than underway. I think it's mostly completed. Um, so look for this product soon on the DM's Guild. The first thing that they're going to do is release pay what you want version that has a kind of slimmer. Um, look with just a few of the monsters from it as a preview. And so you can look at the layout, look at what's been put together so far and decide if you want the full product. Since it's pay what you want, um, they're going to give the proceeds from that to charity. Then at the end of April, they're going to put out the full version of the book, which is going to have hundreds of monsters. And if you prefer Mm -hmm. a physical copy, there will be a print on demand version through the DMs Guild. Uh, so they they made a you know a deal with, with the dm's guild to to do a, a pod version and there aren't a lot of products that offer that in the guild you have to jump through several hoops to do that and they've done the hoop jumping so that is a product that you'll be able to get a print version of if you so choose yeah and if you want more information on it there is a facebook group called community monster really project cool. and there is also a monsters of the guild twitter uh handle that you can follow for more information on that project.
0: That's pretty sweet. I like it a lot. I also like what looks like it will be the cover of this book. It's pretty, pretty nifty.
1: Yeah. They, uh, they put up, they actually have the actual proof copy of the print on demand version and they've been putting up pictures of it and it's pretty sweet looking. It's really a actually pretty book.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's like a monochrome monotone one color beholder. Uh, like imprint uh, it says monsters of the guild and underneath that is the this beholder. And it's got like a, a green spine thing looking with um, some like metal rings through it. Like, and now they're not actually metal rings, like this is just the, the printing on it, but it's cool. I like it a lot. You should go check it out. All right, let's talk about our main topic, which is shared world. So, People will often use the term shared world to mean different things in the D&D realm. Uh, For some, it means any published setting that Dungeon Masters use in their games, like, you know, the Forgotten Realms, Greyhawk, Eberron, Dark Sun, those types of things. And they are all shared worlds by this definition. For others, the shared world is more specifically a living campaign setting. The Adventurers League, Living Forgotten Realms, Living Greyhawk, those types of things. Living Divine. Um, This is where not only the base setting is shared, but the unfolding plots Um, and changes to the setting are shared as well. And then for some, it goes even further. A shared world is a home setting that is used by more than one dungeon master at a time. In this definition, the only group playing with the actual setting is your home group, but the DMing duties are passed between members of the group. And we're going to talk about all three of those things in this segment.
1: So, Sean, would you please start us with published settings? Sure. So if you DM or play within a published setting, you are really sharing that world that fictional world with the real world, right? So hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people are playing games in the Forgotten Realms right now. Um so you can share stories with people. Oh, what is your version of Waterdeep like? What's my version of Waterdeep like, etc. You can you can share stories. Um because in the home game, your version of the Forgotten Realms is yours.
0: Mm-hmm
1: you you make it your own, uh, you don't have to follow canon, right? C A N O N, not C A N N O N, which is the big thing that shoots cannonballs. Um, canon is uh, by definition what is official and what is not. It's actually a biblical term where people, uh, you know, when they were trying to figure out what to make official in the Bible, there were arguments about what should go in and what shouldn't. And that was called canon, C-A-N-O-N. So the term has uh, filtered down through the years to now just mean in in, in any sort of intellectual property or any long and com- convoluted and complex uh, group of stories, what is official and what isn't. You you hear uh, this sort of argument go on for, like, Lovecraftian Cthulhu stories, you know, what, what did he write versus what did other people write, um, and you'll hear a lot in role-playing games setting uh, discussion about what is official and what is not.
0: Yeah, the, uh, that's the, the Lovecraft mythos versus the Cthulhu mythos. Exactly. Right? Yep. So, oh, there's yep. also, as I say, there's also the Star Wars stuff, like, it used to be a lot different because there was the uh, expanded universe and there was like the, the, the Canon material there, the, 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 the George Lucas universe, the, the, the G Canon, but now it's all different. There's like legacy Canon and there's like the, whatever is considered the, the current Canon, which is like star Wars rebels and um the movies. Right. And maybe clone and clone wars. I think, I think that's like the official, official Canon of the star Wars universe these days.
1: Sure. So, I mean, just by this little tangent we've gone on, you can tell that if you're not Um, familiar with this concept canon can be a very um, divisive convoluted people spend you know that's their hobby is arguing about what is official and what isn't so if if it's you know if you're into that that's great there's nothing wrong with that but canon only means something if you want it to mean something that's true so so if you're running your forgotten realms home game you do not have to care what is canon and what isn't because you are running your game. So you can say, Hey, you know, Cormier in my game, isn't this kind of noble, um, vassal state, you know, monarchy. It is a steampunk horror realm. A okay. You, you do you. That's good. Um, the only pitfall when you do that is that if new official material gets released, if they release the big book of the forgotten realms, it was going to obviously contradict your choices or the choices that your players make during, during play. And so if that bothers you, then now you're getting to the realm of, I have to start thinking more about what the canon will be for my game, um, And and that's okay. You know, you can still do you. When new stuff comes out, you can just ignore and continue your your game. And the other good thing well, I say good thing, the other thing to keep in mind for this is Wizards has become very, very, very hesitant to advance timelines or make major changes to their settings. Um the spell plague of fourth edition really set the realms on its ear and caused a great deal of consternation by a group of wizards of the coast and D and D fans. Um, since then they have really tried to step back any major changes. I'll give you two examples. I wrote for fourth edition. I wrote a dragon magazine article about the moon isles. And in that I created a, uh, a new leader for the North folk called the storm maiden who was kind of this uh, really volatile figure blessed by several storm and nature and uh, kind of violent gods and goddesses. And she became a leader Um, when they came out with the sword coast adventurers guide and they updated information. They kind of stepped back from that and said, well, she disappeared and now the normal Leaders of the North Northfolk, uh, the Northmen, are are back and, and bringing natural order back to their Vikingish world. So you know you can see them trying to step back to what happened previously. The other example is when I wrote um, Halls of Undermountain, I updated the yawning portal to say that uh, Durnan. The original founder of of the yachting portal had died, and it had been you know a hundred years or so. So you know his great grandchildren are now running the the place, mm-hmm. and which only makes sense, right? Because hundreds of years has passed. He's a human. These things happen, and 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 now in the updated version, I think it was in skag mm-hmm. uh, Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. Yeah, they're like, oh, and by the way, Dern and is back the original Durnan. Uh he wasn't really dead he was just out adventuring and letting his his folks run things but but now he's back and he takes potions of longevity or uses magic to uh to remain young. Uh which is cool I can understand totally why they don't want to ruffle any feathers or you know advance things because then you get arguments. Uh so in that sense changing uh you know uh, your 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 canon is always going to be stable mm-hmm. when when the holder of the IP uses that mindset.
0: On the bright side, as Sean said before, once you start playing your game, it's your game. So if you want a Nethery's floating island to crash into water deep and that be part of
1: the setting, more power to you. Exactly, exactly. It's all good. So you know, even though you're sharing a world when you use a published setting, you can make it as official or unofficial as you want because you're not really interacting with any other running of the game in game you can still share stories outside of the game obviously and tell people what you've done uh but you don't have to take any of that into account um at your table obviously
0: yeah which is the cool thing about the the published setting like you know we all have if we're all playing games in the forgotten realms we can all share our stories about how they were They were the the things changed in our particular version of the Forgotten Realms. Right. All right. um, Let's talk about living campaigns. Now, that's a that's, you know, things like we'd mentioned before, living Greyhawk, living Forgotten Realms, the Adventurers League.
1: Yeah. When you when you DM or play in a living campaign, you are essentially bowing to this whole concept of a shared world. It is it is a shared shared world writ large. Um, For some players, this is a feature. You're invested. You're seeing the evolution of the world. You can see how your uh, your actions as either the player or the DM within the adventures itself are shaping the world and the events uh, that go forward.
0: It's interesting to me because um, it's the living campaign idea. It's cool because it's that uh, that idea that we're all playing the same adventures, right? So we can all talk about the adventures that we're playing. So yeah. – Uh, We're not playing in, we're playing in the same world, but we're playing in our own little like slices of this, of this dimensional slices of this version, like these alternate realities, if that makes any
1: sense. Right. And and the stories that you share with other players and other DMs are much more um, intertwined with each other because you are playing the exact same thing at the exact same, well, sometimes at the exact same time. And you really can, in some cases, see how your actions change the plot moving forward or change the setting moving forward. Um, now, not always, and it's sometimes you do something and it's not what everyone else did. So the, uh, you know, the quote unquote canon of the the campaign is different from what you did. And, and so sometimes that's off-putting for people. So, you know, for some the Living Campaign Shared World thing is a feature. For others, it's a bug because it you can see how it waters down the effect that you have on the world. Uh, you become just one of thousands of people playing this this campaign. So some people feel like they don't have a great effect on things. And it's not an unreasonable way to look at it because it's kind of true. So you know, for people like that, you may want to stick with a home game. If you want to be able to burn down Waterdeep you don't want to try to do that during a living campaign because probably the outcome will not be what you're hoping for.
0: It's funny. I always think of living campaigns as like, since so the setting one is we're all playing in the same space, right? Like not necessarily the same kinds of stories, but it's the same space. The The living campaign is we're all playing the same sets of stories. So it's almost like a, a bunch of multiple timelines are like proceeding forward in parallel, but at the end of the day it just ends up funneling into the most common um common results right. of of all those timelines it's it's an interesting way to think about it cuz it makes it jive in
1: my head so it it makes sense yep. in a way and it's, and in some cases though you really do have uh, an effect because if you play something like an epic um which is an interactive event where several tables are actually all playing the same adventure at the same time and it's not separate timelines it's one you know, one big thing, you can really see, you know, cities have blown up based on that. Molmaster mm-hmm. is, or was a devastation orbs went off all over Molmaster, blowing it to Hades, basically. Um, and now it's being rebuilt. So that was something that happened directly because of the uh, actions of the players at different events.
0: Yeah, now let's talk about that for a second because it has to. The, those kind of things that happen that really shape the living campaign, if they're not the most common result of a ser- of an adventure being run multiple times, if it's an epic like that, they usually have to be the epic that is run at specific – at a specific event because sure. that's the one that they the, – the people who are running the campaign tend to look at and then use as their model for what happened going forward.
1: Yep. And I'm going to step outside of d d for just a second because I am also involved in the Star Trek uh, living campaign from the the new mm-hmm. uh, modifius uh, version of of st- the Star Trek adventures game and you know we take reports from players who play at home and they say oh in our game this this cool thing happened and we'll grab the coolest thing and we'll put it into an admiral's report that goes out to everyone so it'll say you know at the end of this uh, adventure although they obviously don't use the adventure you know they went to this world and this thing happened and one of the you know lieutenant so and so decided to join the Klingons um, for this mission and so she uh, went off she's acting as a liaison between the Klingons and uh, and the Federation for for the the foreseeable future so you know they're actually getting their names put out there in real. You know, real ways. So, th- you know, that's another way that living campaigns will uh, will reward players or acknowledge players actions.
0: That's a that's actually pretty neat. I like that a lot. Yeah. So let's now talk about um shared uh, rotating DMS. Let's now talk about rotating DMS. So rotating DMS is that that situation where you are playing with your home group or, or a rotating group of people and your game master, your dungeon master will um, run a, run a session or a few sessions, and then you will pass the reins over to a different dungeon master. And instead of changing, um, worlds or settings, you play in the same setting, you play with the same characters, you play in the same, same story space. So we're going to talk about how a methodology for doing that, um, so to me, the, the most important thing that you need is a strong, central unifying force. So this is a place for the characters to come from. This makes the characters um, troubleshooters or agents of an organization that could be an adventuring guild, um, any organization with a goal or or even like a mercenary company, something like that. So once you have set this concept down, like, say, it's an adventuring guild, that's pretty, pretty easy. Um, you need everyone who is playing who is going to play in this game to agree on this idea so that there's no waffling on motivations when starting adventures.
1: Yep. And I think this is a really great point Chris because you know, we we we're now we're stepping out from the world being um the most important thing to creating a structure within that world that all the DMs know is a solid and unchangeable thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean that is that is how you, you can – um. this is a good place to build from when you're trying to do this kind yep. of thing. Um, I think the next thing you might want to consider is the length of dungeon mastering time. So, like, how long are your dungeon masters going to run their their little mini arcs or adventures for? Um, and this lets the people who are running know how long and constrained adventures need to be. So, like, you can make some choices about this. It could be a single session. It could be no more than three sessions. In fact, it can be any length that you want. You just have to come to some sort of um, – Agreement on how long you want game masters, dungeon masters, to be running the the games.
1: Yep, and I think what a lot of that will involve is how big is the story point that you're trying to cover, right? Is it just one one thing, um, you know, so and so got kidnapped, we have to go rescue him, which could be done in a session, or are you doing a longer story, and and that's how you you figure that.
0: Also, it helps with your um your your. Dungeon Master prep type stuff, because it's like, well, we want to make sure that everyone always just runs one one off sessions, right? That that mm-hmm. tells you what you need to prep then. Yep. Uh, and also the kind of play that you're looking for in your games. And that doesn't mean you can't change it over time, but it's good to have that that set to begin with. All right. Um, here's an idea that I like to bring to, uh, to these kinds of situations, which is um, this idea of the cell structure. So cells are groups of people that go out and do missions, jobs, or adventures. Now, what that does is, like, um, it does a couple of things for you. Um, one, if your dungeon master is running the game, they can still have a character that's part of the group. They're just not part of that particular cell at the moment. Uh, this, does a, this lets you have a couple of extra um, characters that you can have floating around as far as, like, NPCs and whatnot that are part of your adventuring guild or whatever your organization is. Um, it also does this thing where it allows characters or players to have multiple characters, so like you can switch between characters if you want, like say you don't want to just always play one character. You can flip around um, aside from being the game master dungeon master who has their character on the bench on the bench end quotes. Um, that That's a, that's a fun option. So you can get that multiple different character play if you want. Um, the other thing is you can de- you need to kind of decide how characters who are not participating in adventures at the moment progress. Like what are they doing? one while everyone else is you know going on the adventure like are they going to not gain experience are they going to level along with the characters being played or are they going to get some percentage of said experience it's kind of that idea of uh the the dm rewards in um adventurer's league like how do you apply that to not only the person who's dungeon mastering but all the characters that are not doing stuff or that not doing the same things that you are doing
1: you know, Chris, there's there's one thing I see that you didn't mention here, which is a very controversial topic, and that is the DMPC.
0: Yeah, I didn't put the DMPC in there. Like, yeah. I I, uh, I don't really like – I don't really think – it's a different discussion, right? Like, that is – like, doing that well, doing that not well, like – Right. It, w- when you should, when you shouldn't,
1: stuff like that. But that is an option. Right, I think probably you and I agree. I think probably you and I agree on that, and I that's the that's why I noticed that I'm like, huh, Chris didn't put that in the notes. I'm, it's probably because he doesn't like that option.
0: Um, I don't like that option for this particular idea because mm-hmm. I'm going to get to play as a as a DM at some right. point because I know I'm just running an adventure now. I we actually did a whole episode on misdirected Mark called the GM PC. And I actually argued for how it's not that big of a deal, like how all the right ways to do it. Right. Cool. Um, so like you can go and check out that episode if you want. And maybe me and Sean can take a take a shot at it as far as D&D is concerned, yeah. because well, I, my most successful okay. DM PCs are have always been in Dungeons and Dragons.
1: Right. You know, I, I don't think we would do a great episode on that just because I think we would agree on practically everything. I would Probably. I would so much rather have the DM's character just get experience along You know, even though they're not playing and then be able to step into the the story when they switch out to become a player rather than having them go through the steps of being a PC while they're DMing. So, man, you know how hard it is
0: to do that, like effectively, like you have to think of the game from your player character's perspective while you're running the game. So you can't give away stuff. So you actually have to play like dumb half the time. Yeah,
1: it's (laughs) it's I'm sure. Yeah, it's. I'm sure going back and listening to that uh, misdirected Mark episode with with that discussion would probably cover everything that that people need to know.
0: Yeah, I mean, if it's up, it might not even oh. be up right now because we're still putting ah. in the backlog. <laughs> but I'll go. I'll go find out. Um, the next thing I think is useful is having a central location. So, like, this is a town or a city that the game starts in, or at least a, a home base. And it could even be like a traveling caravan type situation. Whatever it is, like an airship, even. Um, Now, I like the the town city type situation most because each DM gets to add on to or use what's come before in their adventures. So, like, you can start with this pretty blank map. And as you play, this this location fills up and becomes more fleshed out and um, expands as you play more and more sessions, especially when you start. And that, in my opinion, like, I think you should have those moments where you are in your home base and you're in your town and doing things for at least a little while every session. Mm -hmm. Like, Or at least every beginning of adventure right? and end of adventure.
1: And another thing that I've done when I've been in situations like this is to create that small town, but the DM does not get to add to it. Only the players do.
0: Oh, that's interesting. That's a really good idea, actually.
1: So that way that you as the DM, as the rotating DM, don't have to worry about that. Um, The players will be the ones that add new buildings because they're gaining power gaining money can build things and then they can sponsor people oh you know we really an alchemist in town let's sponsor or get a hireling to to uh to do that so you know the, as the dm you can build in the wilderness but the players build the town
0: or you can build the plots yeah. right but you can't yeah because sometimes some of these games i've seen um take place sure. in cities yeah so yeah uh, so then the next thing is this idea of shared locations and NPCs. Now, I'm a big fan of Google Docs. So that's where I would create a shared doc for the NPCs and locations so that everyone who is running can can draw on them. That is, a, that is an important thing to me. Um, and then I think it's important to decide how different parts of the setting are used. Like what is shared? What is not shared? Is everything open between everyone? Are certain people, places, and things only usable by certain DMs? Now maybe it's even a split where certain DMs can claim certain NPCs or organizations for themselves, while others are open to everyone. So, like an example is, say, there's an, uh, a cult of the Undying Queen. Can another DM use the cult of the of the Undying Queen? Is that a is that a thing that is on the table for everyone?
1: Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. Does that make sense? It's it's. I love the idea of that Google Doc. A wiki uh, also works. I, I've seen people to do that. But at, at, you're absolutely right. It doesn't matter the tools you use. You just need to communicate with. The other creators, uh, to make sure that you're not overstepping your your bounds when you are uh, when you're using their content.
0: Yeah, my uh, my personal preference is to do sort of like a, a mini draft thing. Like, if um, you can always, or not a mini draft thing, sort of like a, um, a restricted free agent thing, or a mm-hmm. free agent. Uh, 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 yeah, you can um, you can basically declare somebody or something in the game. Like, that's mine. I don't really want people to mess with that. But everything yeah. else that is made is is pretty open. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that way you have your, like your thing that you can sort of push on when you are running, but when, but then you have the other things that other people can use too. So you have like the shared thing and then your own stuff. So it gives you something to
1: lean on. So why don't you give us an example, Chris, of, of how you would do this in, in, you know, in a real way.
0: Sure, so, um, the swords of Cymbria Street, so this is a local group of adventurous types in the city of Avalon who have vowed to ke- help keep the neighborhood safe the symba street Cymbria Street neighborhood and then build it back up so okay, I'm gonna ask you to step
1: back for just a second and tell people what Avalon is,
0: okay, so the city of Avalon is this giant, sprawling, massive city that is way too big, it's like miles and miles big um. In many different directions, uh, it is it is a sort of a low magic fantasy setting. You'll be seeing it from Encoded Designs in the not too distant future. We played uh, an actual play of it called "The Streets of Avalon" with Brett B from Gaming and BS. It's actually his setting, and then Emily from from she's a super geek Kevin Lovecraft from The Gauntlet and other places, and uh, Tom Flanagan from The Knights of the Night, and myself. So um, this giant city has it's kind of a, a grimy, dark ish, *Fawford* and the Grey Mouse are. Lankmarish like setting. Um,
1: okay. So, so really what it is is a hex crawl, but it's all city.
0: Correct. Okay. Or it's a, cool. or it's a, you can focus in on neighborhoods within this giant city because each neighborhood is almost like its own little like hamlet in a lot of ways. Okay. Cool. <clears throat> so the Simbria Street Tavern is a local tavern on Simbria Street and it's the meeting hall for the swords of Simbria Street. So that is the, your centralized location, right? And then, um, if I was the game master, my character would be Connor Davidson, who is the owner of the Symbria Street Tavern and a member of the Swords of Symbria. So at least I have that character that is always there. Can be an NPC, the bartender, if I want, or working at the bar. Um, Now I'm going to uh, create some things that go along with the, the the neighborhood. So the Guild of Sanitary Excavators. So they uh, this guild, they keep the sewers clean and sometimes expand the sewers, especially in this area, through the sunken old city. Now... That is a that is an organization, right? Another organization that people can use. Everybody can use it. So we just built something. Okay. Um, the leader of that is Curtis Slog. He's the local leader of the guild. He sometimes subcontracts the Swords of Symbria Street for protection in the sewers when they need to, or when they need to go into the old city sections. Now, here, let's talk about what I just did. I built an NPC. Um, I gave a hook for a reason for the for them to interact with my with the the group, the Swords of Cymbria Street. So. Now this character is not just a character here, but they have a reason to interact with my um with my adventuring party, right? That's important, I think.
1: So is is the this Swords of Symbia Street something the PCs would join or interact with or uh, uh the swords of Symbria Street would be the
0: campaign frame they 're the group that the player characters are all a part of okay so so okay yep. cool so that is that is uh the sword the symmbria street the swords of symbria are the they 're the campaign frame they 're the organization that everybody 's a part of that 's that 's my campaign conceit gotcha that you 're all members of this group that are going to help
1: um build up and protect this part of avalon okay, so then the guild of sanitary excavators is going to be a separate group that is one of the first ones that the, the player characters will interact with.
0: Correct. Yeah. They'll okay. probably hire them to go protect them in the sewers or something. Gotcha. Cool. Because they're trying to like do something down there. Um, uh, Marissa Torg. She's just an NPC. She's a merchant who has a traveling shop on a cart. She's a purveyor of goods from different parts of the city. Uh, she's not always in this part of town, but when she is, she's sure to have something interesting and oftentimes illegal. So, this is an, another NPC that was created. Like in this case, we'll say that it was somebody else who created it, right? Like somebody else brought this to the table. So now we have this character that shows up now and again, and can have interesting things on them. Um, anything that you build for, for this game folks out there, if you're, if you're, if you're dungeon mastering trying to make it have a, a wide ranging appeal, like it can do a number of things. It can sell stuff. It can also be story hooks for, 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 for play, things like that. Uh, Marissa is interesting because she can link to other parts of the city. If you ever want the Swords of Simbury Street to go elsewhere, um, the old city. So this is a part of Avalon that's sunk and is interspersed between the sewers. And then sometimes things within the old city wake up and cause trouble because it's from a long time ago. Other times things move into the old city and set up layers there, making trouble for the Guild of Sanitary Excavators, uh, the cadre of vermin catchers, which I haven't gotten to yet, and the locals of the Simbury Street neighborhood so now i've built an adventure location right like we have a dungeon um these are all good things to have and this could be something anybody could have brought this to the
1: table right like right and and not only do you have a dungeon but you have a dungeon that runs underneath yeah more parts of the city in one so other dms can then pick up uh hooks from the old city and bring it to their areas True. Also,
0: that's assuming that you're letting everybody run um, different parts of the city. Like my intention was that everyone just runs this neighborhood, right? And is and has characters that are part of the Swords of Simbury. Sure. Street. Yeah, but that's interesting. That's an interesting thought, right there. Um, and then there's Capricorn's Wake. So this is a uh, a local masks thieves guild. The masks are the lo- are the thieves guild in, in Avalon. So like that is the. Uh, Think about us using the setting like we're talking about setting here masks are part of the setting the the capricorn's wake is the the the, um, the location within the swords of uh within Sembria street that is the uh, where the, this part of the thieves guild operates out of so it's a it's a gambling den that's actually its front, but it's also the thieves guild the local or the local chapter i suppose uh they want to run the neighborhood they have a motivation. And they're currently in an uneasy peace with the Swords of Symbria Street. They uh they want to run protection rackets, but they don't want to fight the swords. So um instead they run pickpocket scans and sometimes hire outs for dirtier work. Um they also plan heist against some of the smaller noble houses. So mm. this is all just world building type stuff, right? And this is this is, in my opinion, like this is what a like a third game master would have brought to the table or dungeon master would have brought to the table. Like, oh look, there's the masks in this setting. Uh, let's have a local mass guild. Let's see. What would they be like? Oh, let's throw them, put them in a gambling den. Let's put them sort of like at odds with the swords, but, but they could actually work with them at times for like doing heists against the nobles. Cause who likes the nobles, right? Nobody. Um. Then you just build some NPCs to go with them. Uh, Volgo Lurk, he's the head of the guild, he's crafty and tough, and Delina Delilah for 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 Tana, she's a thief, assassin, singer, gambler, street magician, and she's lovely. So then you have those characters that you can play with, and they go in the dock, right? They're shared then.
1: And one of the cool things, Chris, I just thought of, is that, you know, we've been talking about shared worlds where people switch DMs and kind of stay within the same characters. But you could mm-hmm. also do a shared world where that now these, these other PCs that we're playing are actually members of Capricorn's wake. Yep. Yep. You
0: totally could. That would be really cool. The the Capricorn's wake, not only a location, but also the name of the, the, the cell of thieves that work out that work for the masks over there. Right. That's pretty sweet.
1: Right. So now you're running maybe a tier, a different tier, you know, adventures or, you know, a completely different set of characters um, using that. So I, I love that. Yeah, that's actually really a, a cool idea because um, then you can play the other side
0: of it, right? So uh, now let's talk about uh, Tyron's Trappers. So this is a shop in the neighborhood and a local meetup spot for the Cadre of Vermin Catchers. That is another guild in Avalon. So Avalon, the big setting, the Cadre of Vermin Catchers, or Tyron's Trap, Cadre of Vermin Catchers is the guild. Tyron's Trappers is the local um, part, the local guildhou- guildhouse, I guess. That would be the best way to put it. Yeah. Um, they sometimes subcontract to the swords of Symbria street to help with vermin control in the sewers and in other places. And um, as a story hook, like they recently had a bad run in with a nest of goblins and lost a lot of people. So now they like, they need help. Um, Then I create the, uh, the NPC Tyron breeze. He's a hunter and vermin killer. He runs and organizes the area's cadre of vermin catchers. And he's pretty broken up about the recent loss of half of his people to a nest of goblins. They stumbled upon when hunting some giant rats. So right there in that, one paragraph there's a nest of goblins running around out there in the old city probably there's like a giant rat problem out there in the old city probably so more hooks
1: yep and again this is an npc that you know one dm can sort of be the owner of but other dms can use as as a quick hook for an adventure
0: correct so that is um like we talked about We talked about the ideas behind it, but that is the example of how to sort of build that. And especially if you think of, like, I said a lot of that stuff, but this could have been different game masters, dungeon masters, bringing these things to the table during different sessions. Sure. Yep. And, you know, you just, like I said, share that out in Google Doc, and you have this, like, thing to build off of. And now you have locations and NPCs
1: and motivations. And the cool thing is, if you have two or three DMs or more doing this... uh in a very short amount of time, you have a very full world with which you could draw.
0: Yeah, I mean, think about the stuff that we all just that we just talked about, me and Sean. And I mean, I wrote up most of that stuff, but like, that, there's plenty of gameable material right mm-hmm. there. All right, so uh, if you have any questions about this, feel free to message us on our G Plus community. That's a great place to go. But I think with that, we should probably get out of here, right?
1: Sounds like a plan, Chris.
0: All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening so much. Let's do some Patreon shout outs. Jonathan Lavalier, uh, Chelsea Clark, Robert Day, Matthew Petru- uh, uh, Petruzelli. Yeah. Dan Simmons, Robert Aducci, Jeff Stevens, MT Black, Cindy Moore, Michael Bauman, Derelict Radio, Jay Krembling- Kremberling, and Troy Pickleman. Thank you so much. And speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down with D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website. And for a paltry $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout out like you just heard.
1: Or for $4 a month, you not only get one of those shout-outs, but you also get our pre-production show notes. And an invite to our Slack channel. I forgot oh, about that part. Oh, yeah that's, yeah. that's even better.
0: Um, and if you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple
1: podcast review. Those podcast reviews help, even if you don't listen via Apple podcast. Since many podcasters use Apple podcasts as their way to rate and rank shows, and that helps make us more visible. It really does. Sean, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Sean Merwin, or on the Down With D&D G Plus community, where we can discuss topics like the one we just discussed.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, you can hit me up, at Mark. that is the network Twitter, or you can go to the website, where you can catch other great shows, such as this one, Advantage to Insight. One fan, one topic, and the best result. Advantage to Insight speaks to the fans of Dungeons and & Dragons and what interests them for you. And... Very soon uh,
1: Our interview Or Wayne's interview With Lisa Chen Will be up So there you go Nice Down with d d Is a misdirected Mark production The media arm Of encoded designs Alright Sean What are we gonna do now We're gonna go Kill some shared World monsters
0: Get down with d Yeah you know me Get down with d Yeah you know me Get down with d Yeah you know me Who's down with d and yeah, you know Down with i am down with d and am down with D and down with D and D. We're down with D.